Today, Bishop Earl and I discuss a book entitled Letters to Sarah. Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? recently came across a book entitled Letters to Sarah, and it contains dozens of letters written by plural wives specifically to females who are making the decision to become a plural wife. And we're going to present segments of some of these letters and then make our own comments. And of course, we're going to apply biblical scriptures to determine if their comments and exhortations are based on God's revealed truth. Now, we pray that if you are a woman in polygamy, that you will listen and accurately discern God's perfect will for you. And we hope that you will understand that we're not mocking you and we're not making fun of your lifestyle or judging you because that is God's job. But we are judging polygamy based on God's word. Now, this book, Letters to Sarah, is based on their claims that Sarah gave plural wives to Abraham because God commanded her to. And from that, they've developed a law which they call the Law of Sarah. It's not in the Bible, but it is is in their Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, so it's doctrinal, and it commands the first wife to give her husband plural wives. In fact, we'll quote the verse. Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, verse 34. God commanded Abraham, and Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to wife. And why did she do it? Because this was the law. Okay, and so they've labeled this the law of Sarah. And despite the fact uh, that they use the Bible as their basis for it, it's not in the Bible at all. (laughs) Now, most polygamous marriage ceremonies require the first wife to take She's supposed to be present, and she takes the wife of the of the woman that's going to become his plural wife and places it into her husband's hand, showing that uh, she is giving her consent for this plural marriage, for this man to marry another woman. Now, this book boasts 144 pages of letters, and they are all pro-polygamy. But as we read each one, we do hope that you, you can detect the mind and the emotional manipulation they use to convince the quivering heart of the soon-to-be plural wife, or maybe the one who's doubting yeah. if she should be a plural wife. This book is given to prospective plural brides to calm their spirits and to help wash away those doubts, or at least cover their doubts for now. Each letter promotes, exalts, praises, embraces, and recommends polygamy. But as we read some of these excerpts, uh, those who know their Bibles will easily pick up on the misuse of biblical terms and the misapplication of biblical events and doctrine. We need to say from the very beginning that polygamists use the phrase, the principle, (laughs) and they use it to describe living polygamy. Polygamy is the principle, and the principle is polygamy. So when you hear it, you'll know that that's what they're referring to. And they call it a holy, essential, principle, command from God. Celestial marriage is also a synonymous term for polygamy. Each letter is based on the following statement, which we quote from one of the letters from the book. You asked me to write a letter explaining why I live the principle and why I love what I love about it. I'm so glad you have chosen to embark on the incredible journey of living the principle. I don't have eloquent words or fancy ways of saying things, but I do have a heart full of thoughts. 
I will try to put those thoughts on paper. When I ponder the principle of plural marriage, I think back to the prophet Joseph Smith. I know he restored the gospel in its fullness. This includes the principle. This is how the prophets of old lived. This is how our Savior lives. This is how God lives. I know that the Lord provided a way for his principle to be kept alive, and when the LDS Church rejected it, the fact that I have the privilege to be part of it now is overwhelming. Of all the billions of people in the world, all of whom are God's children, I have been chosen to live his holy law, me. I didn't always feel this way. It is something I have grown to know and appreciate. You know something? Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's really, uh, you, they're getting deep in their people's minds here. And, and if yes. you haven't come from, from this kind of a religious system, you may not understand how this works. Yeah. But they're really the twisting control. the mind of the, of the people who are reading this. Yeah. Uh, it's a manipulation of emotions uh, of these prospective plural brides and, of course, encourages them to go ahead and enter despite their fears yeah. and their doubts and their jealousies. Now, many viewers probably notice the particular heresy that polygamists believe, which is foundational in their religion, which is in this letter and in several letters. Yeah. That heresy is that God and Jesus Christ are polygamists. Yes. Now, we challenge everyone in Mormonism to find scripture in the Bible where God reveals that he has plural wives or that Jesus does. We want to be respectful and sensitive to the women who are suffering in plural marriage. You may watch this, so please know that pointing out errors is not attacking you. It's, it's actually loving you by sharing our time and telling the truth according to biblical revelation. And the truth is, you don't have to do this. Here's another quote from one of the letters. A word of caution, first wives get the worst rap for this one, but I have actually seen all women do this, believing that we have ownership of our husbands. It comes easier to first wives to feel this way because we have had much, we have had much time alone with our husbands. Sometimes we think we are sharing him like he is a piece of property. The real truth is, and it is part of the covenant, that we belong to him, not the other way around. Can you see the contradiction here? Can you see the what I they're can. doing here? Yeah. It's wrong for the wife to resent sharing her husband, which she said indicates that he's considered a piece of property belonging to her. Then she says the real truth is that the wife is the piece of property. Right. So the wife is the property owned by the husband, but the husband is a free creature to roam and owned by no wife? <laughs> that can't be right. What does God say? Well, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Notice there's no indication of plural wives here. No. And God says the wife belongs to the husband and the husband belongs to the wife. It's an equal partnership and polygamy is not an equal relationship. And neither one of our are considered property owned by the other. And it's not wrong for a wife to resent or to be jealous of another woman who has taken her husband's affections and sexual energy. Hmm. We continue from the same letter. So the gift we have had of time with him is just that, a gift. 
it didn't belong to us in the first place. It isn't wickedness to want to belong or to have stewardship, but our husband doesn't fall into that category of being our stewardship. When we recognize that, we can truly be so much freer with our love and our time. And again, to turn this around, why should the husband's wife or wives be treated as the man's stewardship? <laughs> they are. Yeah. That's what they are. Wives are not things or objects or stepping stones. And God shows no favoritism uh, towards the males at the expense of the females. On page 14 is a letter from another plural wife where she writes this. One scripture I read a thousand times was in Doctrine and Covenants 132, verse 56, where the Lord tells Emma to live this way and to forgive Joseph. But the part I love to read and look forward to was this, And I, the Lord, will bless her and multiply her and make her heart to rejoice. And of course, section 132 is their plural marriage revelation. Right. Uh, it's not in the Bible, but it's in their script, their their Mormon scripture. Sure. Now, the blessing and the rejoicing heart is promised only if she agrees to let her husband live polygamy. What's to rejoice about that? Now, God commands the painful, adulterous living and then promises to bless women for putting up with it. <laughs> if we go back just two verses from the one that she quoted and the one that she loves, we discover the tragedy of its context. Yeah, this is the one that hit me pretty good. Doctrine and Covenants 132.54. And I command mine handmaid Emma Smith to abide and cleave unto my servant Joseph and to none else. But if she will not abide this commandment, she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord. For I am the Lord thy God and will destroy her if she abide not in my law. So there's the context first, you know. is This isn't the loving God of the Bible. doesn't sound like it. It doesn't, does it? He doesn't command polygamy and then threaten to destroy the wives who can't handle it. And verse 54, he destroys. And verse 56, he's blessing. Uh, where's the free agency uh, the Mormons boast about? This, hmm. this, this isn't free agency. This is coercion. Polygamy is painful. And is filled with fear and hurt and rejection and loneliness and competing for the resources and the love of your husband. And God will destroy you if you don't comply. And you hang on to the promise of blessing if you just be quiet about your feelings and with a good attitude let your husband take other women to bed. This is not God's morality or his character. And I might add, I want to insert right here, God threatened to destroy Emma. Yeah. If she didn't. Right. And she never did agree to plural marriage. Not the fullness of the, the way Joseph Smith lived it. Right. And she eventually denied it. Yeah. It was Joseph Smith who was destroyed while he was young and Emma lived to be a ripe old age. Good point. So that's very interesting <laughs> yeah. uh, about the way that they put that together. God won't be mocked, by the way. Now, polygamous women have been... And the people who received these letters were likely born and bred to believe that polygamy is true and necessary. But there are other sources you can go to, like the Bible, to get a full understanding of God's will and His way for your marriage. Almost every letter included the encouraging words of how much joy and comfort the woman has found after becoming a plural wife. The blessing and contentment that she has because she gave her husband to another woman. 
This is called brainwashing, conditioning from the cradle to accept it as normal. We have a very telling quote like this from page 18. Growing up in the principle, I never really saw good examples of plural marriage with my family. I struggled a ton with trying to understand why anyone would choose to live a lifestyle that was so miserable. I'm not trying to bash on my parents at all. I know now how amazing they were working with the circumstances. I was just so young that it was hard to understand everything. So as a teenager, I wanted nothing to do with plural marriage. And you know, that was my mindset when I was a teenager. You I looked around at all the marriages. <laughs> I never saw anything that, that would make me want, drew me into it. Wow. Especially my mother's. Um, all these kids and all the poverty, uh, it just, there just was something not right. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know what it was, but something just wasn't quite right. Now, remember that every one of these letters was written by a plural wife to another female preparing for plural marriage. Now, the plural wife uh, saw the struggle, the one who wrote this letter. She saw the struggle and the misery and the difficulty understanding it. Obviously, she grew up and was conditioned to believe the polygamy doctrine, herself became a polygamist, and is now encouraging others into that same polygamy lifestyle. This is not God's method of demonstrating His love for us. We read in the Bible where God instituted and blessed monogamy and our first monogamous parents. We never read where he instituted and blessed polygamy. Humans can make a bad thing work, but please don't give the credit for that to God. <laughs> in one letter, the woman asked the question, so why do I live the principle? Because the Lord told me to. <laughs> what a quick way to point out my weakness and help me know what I need to change to become a more useful person in his kingdom. Because there is so much to learn from my sister wives. They have taught me so many things. They don't just make my husband a more well-rounded person. They make me one too. I don't have to be who they are and they don't have to be who I am. But together we make a whole body. Really? <laughs> Sadly, they are crediting polygamy with the work of sanctification that only the Holy Spirit does in genuine believers. Jesus prayed in John 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And the truth is God never commanded you to live polygamy as a means to become well-rounded or Christ-like. <laughs> Now, note this scripture, what was written to Christians in ancient Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we all, uh, I'm sorry, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through the belief in the truth. We're saved through the sanctifying work yes. of the Holy Spirit, not by polygamy. Believing the truth is the key. And Jesus said, I have the truth. Yeah. The truth as taught by Jesus is that there is no marriage after this life. He never taught celestial marriage. Jesus came to save us. If polygamy could save and sanctify us, then we don't need Jesus. We have no need for him. But it's Jesus who is the Savior. She wrote that the Lord told her to enter into polygamy. I'm sorry. But the Bible says there are many lords, 
And we wonder which one told her to live it. Because there's only one true Lord, God warned us not to believe every spirit, but to test them. In another letter, one woman remarked that many females say, and I quote, I want a sister wife, but I'm starting to realize I don't want my sister wife to have a husband. <laughs> That's a dilemma. That's a problem. <laughs> they, they want to do what they think God tells them to do, but they don't want to live through the details. And the huge tragedy is that polygamy is completely unnecessary. Because Jesus came to save. Jesus did save through the cross. And he tells us how to be saved. And there's not a single place where our Savior has given us the command of polygamy for salvation. He's the Savior. He would know. Yes, that's true. From page 21, 29, we read the following astonishing yeah. analogy. Very interesting. <laughs> to all of us women in the principle... I was listening to Peter Pan while I was working. I came in right at the part where Captain Hook is conspiring to get Pan, but can't figure out a new way. He finally gets in and says, Tinkerbell. Smee is confused at how exactly Tinkerbell will help them get Pan, so Hook explains, a jealous female can be tricked into anything. Wow. I realized an analogy right away and knew that's how the devil works on us. He might not directly attack our husbands. He might attack us wives in order to catch our men in a trap. So my thought for the day is, let's be cute and loving tinkerbells and not let our jealousy turn us into stinkerbells, lest we become the way a trap is set for our dear husbands to fall into. <laughs> I just shook my head with reading that when it was sad. It, uh, and it makes me sad for the many plural wives yeah. who do so much in painful effort to gain their husband's attention and approval and to earn more of his love and, and to share their, their resources and to do it all without being a stinker bell. Yeah, a stinker bell. And, and still remain righteous according to their standards of righteousness. It's sad. It is. Especially since God's will is that a monogamous family share and take care of each other and the husband and wife cling only to each other. The devil's trap is polygamy. So all he can do to a polygamous couple is make their lives even more miserable. And all the while, those in polygamy think that they are experiencing and passing a test given by God. But God is not a sadist. Polygamists, read your Bible. Find one place, just one place, where God has given a direct command for you to submit to polygamy. There's not and never was a command from God to Sarah, to Abraham, Jacob, David, or any other Old Testament polygamist. Never a command from God to any of these men or their wives to live polygamy. Find just one. Another piece of advice from a fellow sister wife goes like this. Plural marriage is important to me. My life revolves around it. I determined that my life was going to be a happy one. I was not ever going to let plural marriage destroy my happiness. I have had my downs and tears, but time has a way of taking pain away. <clears throat> my sister wife and I decided in the beginning that our husband would not be our middleman. I spend way more time with her than I do with him. Now, here's another strange situation. Yeah. 
a polygamist will hail this as being very commendable. And we will not attempt to downplay the fact that some wives get along very well with each other, with fellow sister wives. But our purpose (laughs) is to bring biblical truths to polygamists and this situation, although they've learned how to work peacefully together, it seems, is not the model for marriage that God revealed to us. We are not to be one with a sister wife. We are not to support a sister wife and let the husband off the hook. A man and a woman are to be united together, and those two shall be one. The husband and the wife shall be one. Jesus Christ is truth in the flesh, truth revealed. He is the Savior, the only Savior. And he said this. From Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let let man not separate. And from Matthew chapter 22, verses 29 and 30, Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Is this clear? Is this clear teaching? Yeah, sounds pretty clear. (laughs) Sounds like it to me, too. Of course, I didn't know about these scriptures when I was still in the polygamy group. I had no idea these scriptures existed. That's funny. Now, we asked polygamists, do you believe that Jesus spoke the truth? Or will you fall back on the excuse that the Bible has been corrupted? If you believe in Jesus, you must believe what he said. You cannot believe the Bible is untrustworthy when we quote scriptures, but that it is reliable when you quote it. Jesus said, from the beginning, God made them male and female, and the two shall be one. Not that plural wives shall be one with each other. Not that plural wives let the husband, you know, go his way and the two of them make it work. That's not what he said. And he also said, for those who misrepresent scripture or try to apply it incorrectly, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Hmm. And we repeat what he said. There are no marriages after this life. Jesus said so, and I believe Jesus. And as we close part one of this discussion, we quote where Jesus also said this. In John chapter 12, verses 47, 48, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. You know, people need to be careful what they reject from the Bible. That's true. Based on this (laughs) and what Jesus said. The words Jesus spoke, he said, they're often neglected or denied by Mormonism and polygamists. Jesus warned those very words will be your judge. Where will you stand in that judgment, living your life and your doctrine, believing that the Bible's been corrupted when Jesus promised his words would never pass away? Ooh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So where in Jesus' words did he ever suggest, command, or recommend polygamy? 
Now that's the end of part one. I do need, I do want to make one statement here, kind of an explanation of how they deal with what Jesus said about uh, in the resurrection there will be no, no, no one will be married, or or the or there be no marriages. Uh, they claim that their eternal sealing doctrine is needed. Because there's no marriages in heaven, there'll be no marriage ceremonies performed when you get there. So you need to have it done here. Right. And that's where the Mormonism does this sealing and eternal sealing. But that falls apart because polygamists and Mormons alike believe, especially the Mormons who believe that there's polygamy lived in heaven. They say, and I've heard them say this as a rebuttal. Well, you have to be married here. Because there's not going to be marriage there. But what about all the wives that are the women that are up there that don't have a husband who are going to be given a husband after he gets there? They believe that. They teach that. Remember, <laughs> we we did a yeah, show. Yeah, given the husband, given the wife. There's more women in heaven, right. more righteous women and in be heaven. Given to the men. So they're going to be married in heaven then. Our, exp our the thing that I used to hear was that all this would be done during the millennium, when polygamy comes back. Well, and w yes, exactly. When polygamy comes back, and when the men and and all these families for, are forever, and that the marriages will still be happening here on the earth, so that, that all this will be taken care of during the millennium, and then we'll all go to heaven. You see what I mean? In but what words, happens if what happens if someone dies now before the millennium, and well, then he gets well, a wife he'll be in resurrected. heaven? Then yeah. he'll come down here and get married. Yeah, he'll be he'll be part of the millennium. So they for circumvent the, the being in heaven. They come down right. earth to get married, and then go back to heaven. Well, and that's the same way with all the conversions of people. They're going to be baptized here during the millennium. Oh yeah, that's right. They have that second chance. Yeah, and so they'll go through the temple. There'll be temples all over the place, mm -hmm. and they'll have yeah. temple work and. None of marriages. it makes sense. You put all the, you connect all the dots, and it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't fit in with what the Bible. But reveals. Jesus did say, "In heaven, mm -hmm. no marriage in heaven," and right. that's uh, significant. Right. After the resurrection, there are no marriages. Yeah. So after the resurrection, they believe that you'll be resurrected and come back here and get married during the millennium. No, after the resurrection, here, there's no marriages here on the earth. That's what Jesus said. That's <laughs> okay. true. Anyway, we could talk about this all day, couldn't we? Yeah. Thanks, Earl. <laughs> now, many people who live polygamy do so because their parents or leaders taught them that polygamy is the most holy and highest principle. They want to obey their parents and please God. But we ask you, is it possible for anyone to be right about everything? Were your parents perfect? Were they right about everything? Is it possible that they were wrong about something? Could they be wrong about polygamy? After all, no one is right about everything. And how do you know that they were right about that? Why not read the gospel accounts of Jesus's life, especially the gospel of John, and make a note of every single place that eternal life is discussed and every place that polygamy is said to be part of it. Again, Jesus is the Savior. He would tell us the truth of how we get saved. Don't rely on your parents who could be wrong. Rely on Jesus who is never wrong. And find out for yourself what he himself said you have to do to be saved. It's right there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. 
More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.